Hey, what's going on? This is uh, Jeremy Thone, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm super excited to share an interview with Jeff D'Angelo. Jeff is a serial entrepreneur and one of the co-founders of a software company called Turbo for the supply chain, which has several hundred employees. Recently, Jeff was doing some consulting gigs and ended up speaking with the folks over at Lighthouse. Lighthouse is a traditional brokerage and they approached Jeff to basically help help them digitally transform into the future. So we get into that and all sorts of entrepreneurial stories. Hope you enjoy. Jeff D'Angelo, let's see, 20 years in the supply chain logistics industry, have spent in the last, we'll call it seven or eight on the technology side, right? Mm -hmm. uh, building a company called Turbo. I founded that with two consumer technology sort of entrepreneurs. And then most recently, joined a company as the managing partner, basically take them from very traditional 3PL services into a more digital world, which as you see, most entrepreneurs go, hey, let's start from scratch. And I thought it might be super interesting to say, hey, how do we take a you know 60 plus million dollar business and transform it into the view of the world that, that I would love to sort of have from a 3PL perspective? Yeah, that makes sense. I did notice some clips actually of you on Freight Waves the other day, and you had mentioned something about digital transformation. What is that exactly? I was with Michael Vincent. I use two terms that get thrown around a lot, but people don't, people don't really know what they mean, right? So the first term is called digitization, which is how do we take everything that was manual and we put it into some kind of technology, whether it's automating a check call, right? Or collecting documentation automatically and converting it into, let's say, an invoice without humans touching it. The second word that I use is called digitalization, which is actually taking some of these digitization concepts and creating new business models off of them. And so one of the sort of things I love to attack, especially at Lighthouse and what we're trying to do is we're trying to make what was once manual and you know automate it through technology. But the second thing is, is that I'm trying to solve a business model problem in the supply chain. We essentially line up our business model with the success of our customers and our carriers so that we align everything we do around their success that makes us obviously more successful. To me, digital transformation encompasses both of those, not just the fact of, hey, we're going to make everything digital. It's how do you actually change your business for the next 20 years to solve problems in a different way? Makes sense. So how did the, the whole concept between Lighthouse happen? How did that all come about? It kind of starts back with my heritage in the supply chain logistics industry to start. So, so right out of school, I went to a, a small brokerage company in Cincinnati, Ohio. The company was called Total Quality Logistics. Mm -hmm. I think I was the 30th employee there. Now that company is approaching $5 billion. So Wow. Massive huge. organization, TQL. Mm -hmm. um, I just love the business. I love the business because it's almost like golf, right? You have an opportunity every day to, to solve different problems for customers. That was kind of like me. I was kind of like Tom Hanks in the movie Big. I hope the audience isn't young enough or is, is, is too young <laughs> to remember that movie. But he basically asked the question, like, why, why would we do it a certain way? That was me. I was always the, why do we do it that way guy? And uh, yeah. And then um, I tried to do some interesting things at TQL. I think, you know, they were, we were running pretty quickly and, and growing like crazy. And one of the original founders of TQL asked me to start another company with them. It was called Megacorp Logistics. So we started that from zero. I saw it to hundred million in about three and a half, four years. Um, that company now is about four to 500 million in revenue, but we didn't really solve what I wanted to solve. And that's when I started the Turvo software platform. And the idea of Turvo was how do we take all these companies that have to work together in the supply chain 
right? Think of 95% of the people that you work with are actually in different companies, right? Carriers, customers, locations, uh, customs, brokers, et cetera. They don't work for your company and give them a common tool set beyond Excel, right? Beyond the phone to work with you and do it in a way that we break down silos between companies, right? It's really a software problem that causes all these problems. One of the challenges we had with Turvo was that companies loved Turvo in terms of, hey, here's this beautiful shiny object I can use to go to market Mm -hmm. and make more money, but they weren't actually transforming their business to the future of what the industry should be, which is more transparency, more business model change, automation, the stuff that the reason why we built it. After years of frustration, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start my own. I'm just going to go build a 3PL. And I started a company called Hello Street. And I got some great advice from our old CMO, a a guy that came from Microsoft. What he told me was, he's like, why don't you sit back and listen to the market? Because you've You've kind of earned your spot to say, hey, you don't have to start something from scratch. You can go do what you want to do just with a different company. Several customers of ours at Turbo reached out to me and said, hey, can you help us? And one of those was Lighthouse Transportation Services, which mm. they had just bought a, a trucking company called NTL, packaging division and warehouse division. And they're like, how do we take this Turbo concept and apply it towards everything we do to solve problems differently? And we love your vision. We love what you want to do. We just can't do it ourselves. And so I did a two-week consulting engagement with them. I fell in love with the fact that the leadership was so focused on how do we do it differently and how do we become relevant in the next five or 10 years, rather than if we do it traditionally, we know we're going to become the blockbuster, right? It Mm -hmm. just dies. (laughs) They said, okay, this is unbelievable. Now we need you to run it. Sure. And I'm like, run what? And they're like, run the company. So, so I said, look, you know, make me an offer. I think what I want to do is I don't want to destroy the business you have in front of you. And this is the challenge of digital transformation is allow you to continue to work without destroying what you build up until now. And this is what a lot of companies have problems with as they're doing digital transformation. If they try to rip the bandaid off too quickly, everything goes to hell, right? Mm-hmm. We sort of have a section where we said, look, let's take part of the business and start chipping away at let's say technology adoption, create some automation, and let's create almost like a digital twin concept to do, do it the way we really want to do it over here so that over time that starts working faster, better, more efficiently than the other side. We rebranded under you know one you know entity called Lighthouse. We did all the new website fun stuff, but the goal is really, you know, I asked the leadership, like, what do we do better than anyone else? Or at least if we don't know, what do we want to do better than everyone else in the world? Mm-hmm. And everyone had the same answer which is awesome. You never get this kind of, you know, consensus in a leadership team. And it was the idea of transparency. So I said, what does that mean to everybody? It's not just a dot on a map to say, here's my truck is. So we decided to take a look at transparency and say, how do we become the best in the world at transparency? That means I don't care if they know what we pay carriers. Doesn't matter to us. It's all about how do we change the business model where we're adding more value to the customer that they're willing to pay extra for that outsourcing because why do people outsource, right? So that you can Mm -hmm. be more efficient and more effective and create automation and sort of customer experience. And so we basically listed out all the different ways we want to be more transparent than everybody else. And you sort of chip away at that over time and you become great at it. And so that's what we're really focused on right now. That's pretty insane. So are you guys really going to be giving out kind of data like that, that wouldn't normally be given out is just to kind of put your best foot forward? So I'm an industry change person. I really think the industry needs to change. And, it, sure. and I used to get, and as many customer 
you know, visits as I've had, many care visits as I've had, you know, I ask customers all the time, do you love the three PLs you work with? And they're like, no. I'm like, why? Because I don't know if I'm getting good deals, what they would say. And the business models are typically not aligned with the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So think of the spread. My job as a broker, let's say a 3PL, is to make as much money between what I bill and what I pay. Sure. How does that help anybody? Yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's really kind of uh, self. It's they're only thinking about themselves, which I understand. Yeah, that's right. And don't get me wrong. Like I grew up in this business. Like I built right. a great career off of doing stuff like this. But I, it, I, it never made sense to me. I'm always sure. like, all right, why? Why do we do it that way? Like when Charles Schwab came out and said, "Hey, eight dollar trades," it kind of changed the game. Sure. This industry is going to go through the same sort of experience that they will. So what I think is what we're focused on, think of like transparency, it's about going to the companies that doing business with the companies that are open, a different experience of their provider. So that different experience is things like, hey, we're going to look at your whole spend and say, where should you save money, whether it's us or somebody else? Like they don't have to use us. It's, I like that. It, it's giving them technology that is a part of a network, not a siloed system, right? Like think about siloed technology. You know, if I'm, if I'm gonna go build my own technology, let's say I'm name your favorite big 3PL that builds their own stuff, or if I'm gonna buy something off the shelf that's like a Mercury Gate or whatever, mm -hmm. then if I give that to my customer, then they're at the mercy of basically, it's my system that I give them and they have to work with me. We're actually gonna give them Turvo, which is the only network platform in the world, means once they're on it, they're on it. Because it's all about how do we solve your problem, Mr. and Mrs. Customer? It's not about us. It's about mm -hmm. them. Like, how do sure. we get them to use data? Like, that's what something we're doing right now is how do we use data in a really cool way to make decisions differently? We want the customer to be able to do the same thing. Hey, you know, in this lane, this carrier's more is cheaper, but here's their carrier scorecard. Here's how to think about it. And a lot of the mid-sized shippers in the world don't have access to that type of data, mm -hmm. right? They don't have technology. They don't have, and the big three PLs won't touch them because the cost to serve those companies is too high. So for us, that's really our focus areas. How do we, how do, we do business with the small mid-sized shipper? And we give them access to technology and transparency and data they've never had as a part of doing business with us. Aligning our business model that supports the way, basically the KPIs that they're trying to snap to. All of this takes a, obviously a lot of a shift from the traditional. So, you know, what we're doing is we're sort of taking it slow saying, here are the first couple of customers we're going to start doing this with. We're going to build and flex those muscles, I think, over the next couple of months. And we're going to make it a part of our, of our offering. In the future, I can see where it just becomes the way you work with us, right? As a, as a 3PL. But again, we have a, a pretty sizable business that we we don't want to disrupt right now yeah that makes total sense and then what's what's the deal with turbo exactly like what, what happens when a customer logs in there what's already built in that system that's going to help out with a lighthouse uh in terms of i guess just i don't know a whole lot about turbo exactly but i know that it's probably gonna is it like a transportation management system or is it like a crm or is it like what exactly does it do that's going to help um lighthouse i guess so again, the idea, the idea of Turvo and what it does is Turvo is a collaborative supply chain platform. Mm -hmm. So people are like, what the heck does that mean? Well, number one, it's the architecture is designed like Facebook, where if I invite somebody to work with me, they have a login to their own Turvo, their own security, their own permissions. Now mm -hmm. they're in the network, right? They can use it. 
And what that allows them to do is manage their shipments and orders. It's not just shipments, it's also orders. It's also inventory, right? If okay. you want to go higher, wider, and deeper into the organization. And what Turbo does really well is it does execution really, really well, right? That's number one. Number two, collaboration really, really well because the architecture is designed like no other architecture in the world. So there's, think of cross-organizational workflows. For example, if that driver uploads a document that can also share to me and also share to the customer instantaneously. So think of auto invoicing, right? Mm -hmm. I can do a lot of that without having to go build or buy something on the side. So collaboration, you know, there's capabilities like multi-organizational task management, right? I got to go collect documents so the customer can send me that information. Visibility. It's probably the best in the world of visibility and people don't even know it yet. And that's because visibility is not just a dot on the map, right? It's how do I, you know, get information on inventory and how is it applied to an order? How is it applied to a shipment? Where's that shipment in real time? And then Turbo notifies me that that thing is running late. It also notifies my customer and my carrier and everybody else that's sort of collaborating around that, that ecosystem. So I would say those are the big three things it does really, really well. The fourth thing I would say that's probably the most important in our ecosystem is data. Turbo structures the data in a way where it creates standardization in the network of data. Like Hmm. think of locations. I can't misspell Walmart because there's only one Walmart now. Sure. Right. So the ecosystem defines what Walmart is and that, that gets replicated across the network. So it, it was really foundational for us to sort of create that. And then for me to the next company I was on to say, okay, let, if we're going to do this right, let's just use the platform that I helped build, go to market and, and sort of help customers streamline all this stuff using, using Turbo, using data, using collaboration in a way that's sort of never been done. I like that. I think that sounds really cool because you already have Turbo, you already have like, you know, the software package built. And then you could basically integrate that with everything over at Lighthouse to help out them as well to become more like tech savvy and whatnot. So how are you guys going to go to market? I guess what's like, are you guys going to be advertising or you're going to slowly start using some customers, giving them the login to Turbo and kind of slowly start moving people over and then try to go after new people as well? Or how, how's that all going to go down? Using data, we've learned a lot over the last literally month and a half that I've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a whole bunch of get the house in order kind of stuff that we have to do. And some of those things are around how do we, you know, better utilize carriers because now we have data that says this is our carrier utilization. These are the top lanes. These are all the things that we've never really looked at before because it's been a very transactional business historically, which is sure. which is totally fine. Then there's the the idea of I don't want to give my customer an experience in Turbo yet unless we're eating our own dog food, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning, I want our carriers to use the platform to work with us so that my customer gets the benefit of the visibility as part of the experience to work with us. So we're spending a ton of time right now on, on app adoption, right? Of turbo drivers application of the connection to the ELDs of all that work, the automated POD sort of creation and capture and sending, you know, we're starting with a, what's called turbo link, which is a visibility tool in turbo to give the customers Customers will then graduate into a more collaborative approach where they get actual Turbo to work with us. There'll be a step function change as we get adoption up. And then sort of in parallel, we're going to really focus on some of our top customers that fit our ideal customer profile, which are sort of a mid-sized shipper 
in a certain market that do refrigerated shipments that have no technology that have, you know, these five sets of problems. Sure. We're going to focus on those and going higher, wider, and deeper with those customers to start, really build it out. And then we'll sort of do all the advertising and fun stuff once we figure it out. Makes sense. It sounds like the thing that you guys have built over at Turbo is similar to like a Project 44. Are you guys using like APIs and EDI and telematics and all those sort of stuff to bring in that visibility, but you just built it in-house? Is that the right way to think about it? You know, I like Jet a lot at P44. I think for them, it's uh, they build a visibility tool, right, to see where their stuff is. For Turbo, it was just a feature. Sure. Right? Like it's, I would look at Turbo as almost an aggregator of data into a single source of truth that's also a network architecture. Mm -hmm. Meaning like I can have five or 10 companies working together on the same shipment but they all have different perspectives of the data, sure. right? So a true network. And if one of the inputs is data that comes from the turbo driver experience, or one of the data is coming from P44, if one of the sources of data is coming from Forkites, it doesn't matter. Sure, uh, It's just a source of data. It could, be a, it could be a human being entering it, or it could be a sensor that's telling us what's going on. When they talk about, like, I hear a lot of people talking about kind of like scrubbing data and making sure like even with P44 that all the data is sort of uniform. What, what exactly are they talking about? So I always use this and this is, this is data is the probably hardest problem to crack and why standards are so important. I use this analogy a lot. So in my old world, when I was, you know, at that TQL company and I was at make a quirk company, every time one of my people would put in, let's say a location that was called Walmart. They might spell Walmart five different ways, five different times. Right? I've seen so, it before. That so if I, have, <laughs> if I have Walmart in Louisville, Kentucky, right? I might have five Walmart, Louisville, Kentuckys that are all the same address. Mm-hmm. So when I'm pulling analytics and then like, what are my top locations to deliver to? It might not even show up as one of the top ones because there's five different shipments with five different locations that are actually the same location. Mm-hmm. So the idea of scrubbing and maintaining data and standardizing it to say, hey, there's really only one Walmart in Louisville, Kentucky with that 8,100 address. That does a lot in terms of really understanding, you know, cleanliness of data to understanding analytics and all the other things that have to go on. And then when you take another step forward, when you're doing things like machine learning, Mm -hmm. right? And AI, they have to inherently know that you're talking about that one location versus the five. To me, standardization of all that data is is super relevant and important. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I've seen address books actually where there'll be like 50 different locations and they're all spelled wrong and they're all jacked. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is a freaking nightmare. Yeah. So I, I totally get it. And, and um, it's not sexy. It's like you think <laughs> about all the stuff you can do with it if it's clean are. And there's big businesses that are built off of cleaning data. Look at Accenture, right? Mm-hmm. Those companies make a fortune to come in saying, hey, we'll clean your data. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. I, I noticed also on your site that it mentioned something about like all these systems, like, you know, TMSs, CRMs, ERPs, you got it. Like they're all siloed into like these different sort of areas. Do you think that at some point, like these things are all going to get better connected, like through APIs? Or do you think that, you know, someone's going to just come in with like just one type of system or what's your thoughts like on like the future of all these kind of siloed systems? Actually, when you say siloed systems, there's actually two two different sort of meaning. So sure. one of the parts of siloed systems is exactly what you're saying, right? I have a WMS, I have a TMS, I have an mm-hmm. ERP, whatever, and how do I connect all those to make them sure. seamless? And I'll actually talk you through how we solve that problem at Turbo. Sure. The second 
thing, which is actually fundamental to how, why we started was the siloed systems of working together with other companies, right? So if I'm Walmart, I have Blue Yonder, potentially. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but let's mm. say I have Blue Yonder. If I'm, you know, Ryder, I have several TMS systems. If I'm, you know, CH Robinson, I have my own proprietary systems. Sure. So they say, hey, let's connect via EDI. Mm-hmm. Come on, right? 1970s. <laughs> right. And, or earlier, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so when we started Turvo, actually, we had to figure out how do we solve both? So for the second one, that's what a network concept is, is if I have Turvo, my customer has Turvo, my carrier has Turvo, then when I do work, everyone else gets the benefit and I actually don't have to connect the tenants. I don't have to connect EDI between the tenants. It's like if you had Mercury Gate and your customer had Mercury Gate, you just assume those systems talk to each other. Mm-hmm. They don't. Right. Right. Like I was one of the biggest carriers in Chattanooga, Tennessee a couple of years ago, and they had two versions of, you know, their system of record and they had EDI each Connecting. other and it was the same technology. Right. That's hilarious. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, and I so can... what Turbo does, and it's harder, it's harder to get traction because you're like, well, your customer, if your customer has it and you have it, then you can just start collaborating just like Facebook. Right. Same, mm-hmm. same concept. People have to start understanding and realizing, and it takes a bunch of business cases to realize that having a a common set of tools is way more efficient and way better than you trying to differentiate with something that you built by yourself. Mm -hmm. That's number one. The first problem to solve is how do we solve the siloed system problem. What I think is going to happen, this is what sort of we tried to do. We actually solved it with a couple of the big three PLs that we work with. One of them had seven TMS systems. Jeez. And they had, like two, <laughs> they had two ERP systems, right? And they had all this other stuff. And so basically what we did is we sat Turbo on top because we you had to build enough broad functionality, mm-hmm. right? Where all the data could from these systems could map up into one single sort of source of truth mm-hmm. that over time you can rip stuff out. Um, and you can give one experience no matter who you were to work, to work in. Right. Mm -hmm. But that takes really, really patient investors Mm -hmm. to say, you know what, this is actually digital transformation to the nth degree. We're productizing digital transformation that it's just going to take a while, right. From, you know, financial because integrations take a long time. I think with all the new technology that's out there from an integration perspective, it's going to be easier over time to do that kind of consolidation, right? Productize that consolidation of data into one system. I think if someone's going to figure that out, that, you know, placing this big thing on top of everything else to get rid of everything is probably the best way to go. Otherwise, it's going to be, it's all going to become just an app store, which I actually think that's probably where the world is going to go, is you have an app store of of platforms and business applications that single sign-on, I can just, you know, let's say go to Turbo and see all of my integrated platforms and technologies, and I can do it with the click of a button. And that's pr- that's probably the future of, of how these things start working together. Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. I totally see your vision for that. Um, also, just out of curiosity, what do you, I, I've read somewhere that there's something like 8,000 to say like 15,000 brokers throughout the United States, uh, freight brokers. Do you see a lot of those getting consolidated with the, the rise of like these digital natives, like, you know, Convoy or Uber Freight, or what's your thoughts on like the consolidation of the market? Do you think that people will start kind of teaming up and joining together and 
probably go out of business because they're not catching up like with all the digital trends as well? Or what's your thoughts on that? You know, I've said this for a long time. So we logistics spend globally is growing like crazy, right? Mm -hmm. um, do you know that last year, fifth, there was $50 billion in basically technology spend, venture capital spend. It'll double this year to disrupt the broker, mm -hmm. right? And so with Hubtran, $97 million payout. So I mean, it's all over the place. It seems like it, 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 it's ever it, it's yeah. everywhere. And I think you know the venture capital money to disrupt this market. They know there's a massive, obviously, a massive payout. And I think everybody knows that that this industry needs to get away from being manual, mm -hmm. right? That again, go back to the Charles Schwab example of five bucks to book the shipment. Mm -hmm. You know, and guys like Andrew Leto are trying to do that with Emerge, right? They're trying sure. to create different differentiated business models. There's about, there's close to 20,000, last time I looked actually, brokerage companies, 80% mm -hmm. um, of those do less than $10 million in revenue. I think you're getting a false positive right now with the um, the way the market is, right? You got a lot of people that are doing well that probably shouldn't be doing well. I think when the market flips, you're going to see a lot of those companies go out of business, um, especially to your point where, you know, there's digital companies that are coming in saying, there's a better way to work, our cost per transaction is sub $20 per shipment or whatever the number is, right? You look at the biggest brokers in the world, they're at 75. Absolutely. There's going to be less, not more over time. And they're going to be more digital and easier to work with, especially when the legacy freight managers start moving out and the younger generation moving in. And they say, great, you know, this is all digital. I don't have to do anything. I don't even have to invest in technology because my 3PL, it's all digital, does all this work. If you don't have a digital story and you can't create value from the technology, you're out, you're done, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes total sense. What do you think happened over the last couple of years with all this VC money? Because I don't remember, you know, I was in the industry five, 10 years ago, and I don't remember seeing that much traction with VCs back then. And I don't know if it's something that I was just blind to, but it just seems like it kind of exploded over the last few years. Logistics supply chains not was never a sexy industry. Go back to like, Hey, I want to build the next Facebook, right? Consumer sure. technology is where everything was. When we started Turvo seven years ago, the, the first sort of mentionable you know, venture-backed business that we saw was actually Cargomatic, which is now a digital broker. They were sort of a, <laughs> you know, like a marketplace for LTL. Now they're, you know, sort of a digital broker and um, mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot. So when we started, we're like, wow, we're the new kids on the block, right? <laughs> and we got this big investment. I think, you know, once they understood venture capitalists once they understood how big the market was right eight percent of gdp like oh my gosh like this whole thing needs to be reinvented so like you know five ten years ago when every industry all these venture capitalists said hey let's reinvent old industries that actually became a thesis of all these vcs in the next time they went to their next thing say hey i want to reinvent healthcare for example there was a company called oscar right that we tried to reinvent healthcare and then, you know, technology, visibility, right? You see P44 and four kites and then, mm -hmm. you know, Turvo, how do we reinvent the way people work together? People see all the money in it and say, there has to be a better way to do business than sort of the traditional way. It makes sense. The money kind of sniffs it out, it seems like, because it's just like inefficiencies. If people are making too much money, someone's going to come in and be like, hey, there's probably, I look at that too with like the mortgage industry, because I'm like, there's too many people making way too much money on these loans. Yep. At some point, that's all going to be automated in my eyes. And I, that makes a lot of sense that that happened. It's it's happening right now in, in, the, in the transportation industry. And as far as being like an entrepreneur and you're coming into Lighthouse as a new leader, do you, what's your thoughts like on company culture? Is there anything, do you believe in company culture or is that something that's kind of uh, not something that's important to you? 
It's massively important. Um, I think there's different company cultures though. And, and what I mean by that is I think sometimes you can build a company uh, culture around the wrong things. I was talking to a, a shipper not too long ago and they said they walked into a big brokerage floor and they had all these records up on the wall of, you know, so-and-so did X thousand dollars this week and highest margins ever and blah, blah, blah. Right. Sure. And we're ringing the bell saying, I got a new customer making X dollars. <laughs> right. Sure. I get it. So Wolf on Wall Street style. <laughs> it, it is. And, yeah. and, and in some ways it, it creates a certain behavior that you want for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. But it doesn't actually help the industry move forward, in my opinion. So when I think about culture, I think about things like the best idea wins, right? I think about things like the person who's the most innovative wins, the person who helps the customer the most or the carrier the most or whatever wins. Mm -hmm. And you promote that stuff over, hey, I just made X. All that stuff's important to the growth of company. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But if you promote those in sequence to build the best culture, then you get rid of all this to me. He said, she said, you start actually hiring a different type of person. So mm-hmm. to me, great piece of advice actually from our old CEO, not, not my original partner, but old CEO Turbo said, if you see a snake, kill it, right? And what, <laughs> like what, that. He, what that meant was, is you know, basically culture is everything. So if there's someone that comes in to disrupt the culture, like they can't be a part of the business. And so mm-hmm. that, that's why I was so excited to join Lighthouse because they were so adamant about aligning the visions of let's go build the most transparent company that's tech focused that you know our customers can sort of our clients can work with us in a different way and it has to come from the culture from the inside out that makes a lot of sense i really like that analogy too with the snake to kill it that makes a lot of sense to me because i've been around a lot of snakes and there's times where i'm like why doesn't someone kill that snake (laughs) but um another thing i wanted to ask you too is how do you deal with like setbacks when they occur i'm an anxious person i would say and my mind goes like 50 million different places and sometimes when i can't control you know situations or things around me and it seems like you know as being an entrepreneur you have to have like 50 million things probably going on in your head. Like, how do you deal with that stress? And like, how do you not think about some of the stuff that can go wrong? What do you do for that? Well, I think, I think you just said it. I think the first part is realizing stuff's going to go wrong. Sure. And actually fail fast. Like there's a whole bunch of analogies that you can use. Fail fast, try it out in a vacuum and then replicate it, right? Scalability. I got another great piece of advice. Uh, one of my old bosses who talked about this idea of, millimeters of progress, Mm. right? Every day, make a millimeter of progress. In a year, you'll look back and be like, wow, I actually went a long way, right? Sure. Knowing that there's going to be setbacks and understanding that is setting the right expectation for you. I would say 10% of this whole thing is the idea. 90% is executing, Mm -hmm. right? Like we can all have these great ideas. Literally execution in my mind is a task list. So did we do, did we control what we could control? And that's all we can do. That's all we can take care of. Yeah. That, and, at the end, and at the end of the day, like that's all you can do. That makes total sense. Um, what's your thoughts on calculated risk as well? I know that's kind of similar in that kind of vein, but do you have certain protocols that you follow just to make sure that you cover your ass for lack of better words? You know, there's a few schools of thought. One school of thought for me, it's the most important is what's best for the client. It'll always come back. Right. So when I, when you think about, you know, investment, I, I don't want to spend all of our, you know, EBITDA on one client that we're, you know, doing X with. Sure. But, you know, to me, it's, hey, what is best for the client? And is it a part of our vision statement, right? To say, 
hey, we're going to make a bet here and it's not going to be super massively disruptive for the rest of the organization. And you got to weigh those things constantly, right? In every decision you make. For me, it's about communication with the rest of the leaders, right? Saying, hey, what do we want out of this? And really taking a shoot from the hip approach, but saying, hey guys, let's lay out what problem we're trying to solve. Every, every time we start a conversation, it has to start with what's the problem we're trying to solve. Makes sense. What are the options? And then what the worst thing that I never want to hear from our team is we can't do something. Mm-hmm. What I want to understand is if we were to do it, what would it take? And then we make a decision collectively on, does it make sense to move forward with that thing? Right. Because in the, because the worst thing you can have is doubt to say like, I can't do something. No, you can, we can do it. It's just going to cause X or it's going to take Y or, you know, it's going to be that. So we think about calculating risk, you know, we're always thinking about the customer first and then, you know, how will that impact our company? Makes sense. Last question for you, but I appreciate all your time. It's been super fun so far. As far as like making decisions, do you have a framework as well for like your decision making? If like it's something, I guess sometimes there's going to be stuff that's like on the fly that you have to do right away. So do you kind of just like do your, do you have something for that? And then you have something, if it's something a little bit more long-term and it's like more strategy focused. A lot of it has to do with data, right? To me, data is super important with Literally, I start with a vision. This is kind of how I think about the world is what's the end in mind? What are you trying to optimize for? Mm -hmm. I start there. So if the end in mind is this, and I'll just use Lighthouse, for example, this fully digital experience and the way you interact with us, right? That's that's where I want to be, where cost per transaction is so low and whatever. Then every decision sort of criteria I make is number one, what's going to make the biggest impact up front to get there? Hey, if we move this whole thing over to, let's say, Turbo to do, mm-hmm. how much impact will that make for the rest of the business? Sure. Right? How do we use data to guide us sort of along the way? And you're going to make, um, you're going to use incentives, right? As a way you think about leading, you're going to use incentives as a way to drive behavior. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, changing comp models and all these things to say, okay, if we're going to get there, we're going to need everyone to participate as a part of building that culture, but also as a, to say, how do we drive the norm? And over time, that stuff becomes a norm, right, of how we work and make decisions. I don't know if that answers your question, but to me, again, it always starts with the end in mind. No, it, may, it actually makes a lot of sense. I'm visualizing stuff in my head for, you know, pro- some things that I'm makes total sense. Well, I really appreciate the time. Uh, Jeff, how do people reach out if they want to learn more about Lighthouse or get in contact with you? Yeah, so uh, they can go to our website, obviously, www.golighthouse.ai. They can actually contact me directly, Jeff at golighthouse.ai, or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Very cool. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Got to say, one of my favorite parts about podcasting is just the ability to talk to people that are really smart and just pick their brains about how they think about things, such as their processes on how they make decisions and how they view the world. And Jeff obviously is really crushed it. The, the valuation of Turbo, it looks like it's just almost a half billion dollars, which is pretty insane. But um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the episode and connect with Jeff uh, if you're looking to ship any freight. Thanks so much.